This is episode 75 of the Rising Man podcast with Kelly Gardner. Who's your daddy? Good rising family and welcome back to the Rising Man podcast. My name is Jetty Azuma and I have the humble honor of serving as your host and the creator of this show. This week is special. We are honoring all the fathers out there, all the proud papas, the stalwart protectors of families, the men who are fighting the good fight to raise little kings and queens out there. Yes, this Sunday is Father's Day, so we've got a very special Father's Day episode for y'all today. I've got a very special guest who came on the show to discuss all things fatherhood and fathering in honor of this special day. But before we get to that, make sure you come check us out in the Rising Man Fire Circle. If you're craving brotherhood, accountability, and a space to practice masculinity, the likes of which you will find nowhere else, join us. Join us in the Rising Man Fire Circle, our virtual men's circle. We have two calls every month, a private Facebook group, direct support and connection with myself and my power team, and connection to over a dozen brothers all over the world. Sign up to join by being a patron of the Rising Man podcast at www.patreon.com slash rising man, which grants you access to this private circle, this intimate community of brothers of men. This is your chance to help support the podcast and to get access to our inner circle join us today because we love when new guys sign up and join us all right my guest for today none other than the kelly gardner kelly lives at the end of the world where consciousness and creativity collide he is a husband to a modern queen who holds sacred space for women and mothers to flourish he is a father to two wild boys who serve as his greatest gurus he's a brother to two young men and one young woman by birth and brother to millions of men and women by choice. He's the son of the divine spirit, choosing to experience life, coach to the father inside men, choosing to wake up to the truth of this existence, creator of conscious content, mentor to storytellers on a mission to shape society with integrity, 100% conscious man, 80% of the time. (laughs) As he says, we all have work to do. Truly a unique and extraordinary man, a very close brother of mine and a dear friend, fellow coach inside of Man Cave and founding father of the Conscious Man Brotherhood as well. In this episode, we spoke about so many things relative to fatherhood, fathering, being sons, raising wild men, so much good stuff, including the special dynamic between a father and son, how we are never really prepared for raising a child and having a child. Uh, We talked about the dance between manhood and boyhood throughout our lives, the continuous back and forth between these two domains. We talked about how children are mirrors for all of us and how our children mirror back our great qualities as well as our shadows. So really good teachers for us. We spoke about remembering how we cannot become a perfect parent. Gosh, the best advice that I ever got before I became a parent. We cannot become a perfect parent, but we can be as present as possible without judgment. We spoke about the difference between guiding and controlling our children and our lives and how to deal with outside opinions on how to parent, it's a big one, and how to embrace the wild energy of your wild child if you do indeed have one. Or if you are one, if you're a wild child, how to embrace that and nourish it instead of stifling it and squashing it like so much of our society has asked us to do. And so much more. So happy Father's Day to all of you out there, whether you're a father now, in the future, a son to a father, however you relate to fathering energy, please enjoy this episode. Without further ado, Kelly Gardner. Rising Man family, I got a very special guest today, a very dear brother of mine coming to us live from L.A., the city of angels, my man, my brother, fellow king on the path, Kelly Gardner. Good to have you here, my man. What's happening, y'all? Mm, so good to be here with this family, true and true. So blessed to be amongst the rising rising man. These men are taking it to the next level. And Jetty, you are clearly leading the pack, brother. Uh, well, thank you, my bro. I appreciate those words. And, you know, we're here celebrating 
Father's Day. Mm-hmm. So in turn, we're celebrating fatherhood, of which you are the father to two amazing young boys. Yes, indeed. Who are on their path to manhood. <laughs> so we got a lot. This is this episode is going to be very much centered around fatherhood. But even if you're not a father, or maybe you're not a father yet, there's a lot. There's going to be a lot of juice in this episode. I could already feel it. Talking about that dynamic we have specifically between fathers and sons, but also just fathers in general. Because I'll say for me. I didn't exactly know what I was getting into when I signed up to be a dad. I knew I wanted to be one. I've wanted to be a father since I was a little kid. But you don't really quite know what you're signing up for. Did you have the same kind of experience? Oh, man, not at all. And I'd been in education for a number of years before I went into fatherhood. And I thought, oh, man, I've got this figured out. I deal with kids <laughs> on a daily basis, you know, I, I and I specialized in, in kids with problems. So, man, this is going to be easy had all these theories going into it. Like I'm going to make this gender neutral child who has you know, all these great ideals and I'm going to mold them into this perfect little thing, man. And, <laughs> and they showed you. Huh? Out and they just, yep. <laughs> like, uh-uh. <laughs> my boy came out like, oh, my boy. I'm like, what? no, no, no. You can be whatever you want. I'm a boy. Uh, all right, sure. Uh, you are what you are. They have so their- they have been- the lessons for sure. Yeah, man. I always laugh because some people, they'll, they'll come up and say, oh, I'm great with children. I'm so good with children. I, you know, I, I, I'm sure I'll be a great parent. I'm like, yeah, if you think you're great with children, have your own. It's one thing mm-hmm. It's one thing to be good with someone else's children. It's another thing to really parent your own. So we'll get into that in a second. I want to give you the chance to answer the question I ask everybody, and that is, what is the difference between a boy and a man? Oh, man, I'm so excited about this. You know, I'm an avid listener, yes, so I... I I think about this question when it comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna buck the system just a little bit here because, you know, obviously the one thing that, that comes up a lot is responsibility. And I think that's a, a key element when we talk about what it means to be, to be a man and, and to be in integrity. And, and those things are so critical and crucial and, and so central to what we talk about in men's work. But you know what? I, I've come to the realization that I don't really think there is a time when you are a man or you're a boy. It, it's a spectrum, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it really is a journey. And really what it comes down to me is the difference between a man and a boy is time, you know, because we come into manhood thinking that we're no longer a boy and that we have to let go of being a boy and let go of all those boyish ways. And in so many ways, that's what creates challenges and, and struggles and trials for us in not being able to honor that part of us that is inherent in us. And likewise, as we're a boy, there are responsibilities and things that we're taking on that are calling us into manhood that some of us, depending on your circumstances, may have at, you know, 10 or 11 or sometimes even younger. Mm-hmm. So really what it is to me when I look at it is, is boyhood is, is a time in life where we have a, a vast number of experiences that may call us into what we call in the responsibilities and the integrity of manhood. And, and manhood is a later phase of life. But I think we're always playing with these, these dueling energies throughout our life. And it's important to keep them alive and keep them real and not just say, okay, now I've hit this moment and I am a man hmm. or I'm no longer a boy or I am no longer on that journey. We are constantly on a journey as long as we are living from boyhood to manhood and experiencing both simultaneously. Absolutely, my man. I'm glad that you're bringing that perspective because it is really tempting, especially for those of us who are still needing the validation and approval of others, to be able to wear that badge of honor and say, I'm a man, and here's why. There's that sort of that prove it energy that we want to be seen as a man because as boys, I think we're told that that is the mission, is to grow up, to be strong, to be a protector, to be a provider, to show up as a man, because until then, you're not valuable. Until then, we don't really have much use for you. Until then, in fact, a lot of times you're a pest, you're a troublemaker, you're something that we have to take care of, you can't take care of yourself. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of times we even demonize the boy because we see that the man is a role in society that's more, more valuable, more appreciated because men do have this ability to be providers, be protectors, et cetera. And so I like that perspective that you bring in, man. I think it's really, really important. Yeah. I'll, I'll also say that, you know, in my life, I've created struggles and challenges in wanting to be a man. You know, and being super serious. And a lot of people who know me are like, man, why are you so serious? You know, <laughs> trying to get away from being that that little boy, you know, and yet 
my wife and my kids see something completely different. They see me playing out that little boy on a regular basis. And when I'm playing out that boy is when I'm actually being the most man, king, father that I can possibly be. And so bringing more of that to every part of my life is really what the integrated manhood is all about for me and what integrated fatherhood is about. Mm. Let me ask you this then. So why would your why does your family get to see that side of you more than anybody else? Mm, that's a really good question. You know, and I think it comes back to that societal pressure, that idea of what man is supposed to look like. You know, so when I when I step out there and and when I'm doing this podcast, even, you know, I'm like, there's this pressure to be like the sage on a stage and have this wisdom <laughs> and know what the heck I'm talking about, you know? And when I'm at home, having an older son, I have an 11 year old and I have a three year old. Right. And mm-hmm. I saw what it, what happened when I became that sage on a stage to an 11 year old. Mm. Right. Yeah. What happened? That know it all, that know it all energy mm-hmm. was passed right into him. Mm-hmm. Right? So, mm-hmm. which then triggered me like, why do you, you know, why can't you ask questions? Why can't you? Well, because you're being modeled by a father who's showing you that he knows everything that he's passing down all this worldly wisdom <laughs> to you. And so of course, He sees that and sees, oh, I need to be that too to live up to my father and in his eyes. Mm. And now I'm being triggered by his know-it-all, which he's getting from me and we're recycling it back over and over. So now with my three-year-old, I realize like, I don't need to know anything. (laughs) I just get to play and, and, and enjoy the experience and be a little boy and model healthy boy rather than needing to model healthy man to a boy. That's awesome, man. That actually makes me reflect on something because now that I have my second child, she's almost seven weeks old mm. now at the time of this recording, um, seeing that my daughter is getting a different version of father than my son got, especially at that stage. Because, mm-hmm. of course, you know he's, he's, I had, we, he's almost four years old now. So almost four years ago, I was a much different man. Uh, it was it was way before the Rising Man podcast. It was before I really, really dove into serving at this level and had a lot of life experiences, including being a father that prepared me even better for her to arrive. So mm. I, I think about all those people who say who like especially the firstborn. The firstborn's the one that everyone says the firstborn gets hit the hardest, right? The firstborn's the one that gets hit gets hit with the hammer and the youngest is the baby, right? They get away with everything. So I'm seeing how that could play out because of just having children at different times, being a different version of father to them. And um, I'm wondering what you've discovered because you've you've already raised a son to be 11 and another one to be three. So do you have any attention around them getting different versions of you as a father and how do you negotiate that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean- having kids eight years apart, I'm a completely different person than I was. I mean, you know, they say the whole thing about your cells completely change over seven years. Like right. the, this version of me is completely different from the version of me when I had my youngest son. And, mm-hmm. and also the relationship that was a, a different relationship that I was in with his mother than, than my second son. Right. And I was a different person in that relationship. So I showed up very different. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's all beautiful. I think the interesting challenge is, you know, little things around what we held as ideals for my 11-year-old that we don't necessarily hold for ideals for my three-year-old. Screen mm-hmm. time, for example. You know, uh, my 11-year-old got to watch, you know, things on his iPad and, and things like that. Now I've got a three-year-old who looks up to his 11-year-old who wants to play with, you know, Marvel characters, which is not something we really support in our lives now. But, you know, mm-hmm. 11 years ago, I thought, oh, you know, it's a story. I'm a storyteller. It, it all, you know, will all shape out. And then seeing how that shaped out, wanting to make a different choice, mm-hmm. I'm actually locked into the choice that I made 11 years ago because I have to honor the truth of this 11-year-old while simultaneously wanting a different truth for this three-year-old who's looking up to the 11-year-old. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a really delicate balance. Mm-hmm. At the end, you know, I ultimately say, it's the choice that they are making in this life. I can't make, I cannot become a perfect father. And in fact, becoming a perfect father is going to create all kinds of other problems for them as well. Mm -hmm. So I basically have learned to just be present with what is Mm. without judgment. And that's the, that's the biggest thing that I can do to really honor who I am and, and who they are. Uh, because as I change and as I grow, things are not going to be coherent. And that doesn't make sense for my 11-year-old. You, know, mm. you said this you know, five years ago. How is it different now? How come we don't eat dairy now? How come these things have changed? I, you know, <laughs> how, 
You got some explaining to do, Dad. <laughs> yeah, you got some explaining to do, Dad. What's up with all that? You know, uh, he, he got me yesterday. He graduated. He he culminated from elementary school, and it was a beautiful man. I I'm just going to take a break here for just to celebrate like something that, you know, my previous relationship was one of the darkest periods of my life. Being in a relationship, we were in that classic relationship. We were both in graduate school, and we got pregnant unexpectedly, and uh, I I took time out of graduate school to, to be a stay-at-home dad. And and it just, for so many reasons, we were blaming each other. It wasn't a strong relationship and it, and it got really dark and, and, and ugly. And yesterday, my son graduated, culminated, and I got to sit together with my ex-wife, her new husband, my new wife, her little kid, our little kid, and my son sitting all together at a table and just celebrating, mm. you know, mm-hmm. with joy. To recognize that these relationships can can change and grow, and so here he is at this table. You know, he, he set us up. He took us to this place that only had dairy and meat, um, <laughs> so that the, <laughs> the vegan side of the family would be forced to eat what he really wants to eat all the time. Uh-huh. And he got to be at the head of the table and, and feel all the support. And so I'm really, you know, one of the things that's really uplifting me right now is realizing that that family can look so many different ways. Mm. And as a father, I get to be open to supporting whatever is going to be in their best interest, even if it's not necessarily what I want, Mm. even if it's not necessarily what I think it's going to look like. I get to celebrate that and and really see, for me, the completion of a hero's journey. I went into the darkest cave facing off with that and and now to come back out and see, look, you know, Mm. it can be and, and can look different. And now I get to come back to society with a boon saying, hey, look, here's how we can transition this. Here's how we can make this better. And that feels really good, man. feels really good to see him empowered, to see him graduating, to see life making all of these changes and coming full circle to the obstacles becoming opportunities. Oh, that's that's a beautiful story, man. And congratulations to you as, as being able to show up as the father that that soul needed so that he could make it to this point and be able to be celebrated and start to stand on his own two legs. I mean, that's, that's the, those are the moments that we do everything for all the sacrifices, everything behind the scenes. And it's such a great reminder that we are not their master. And I know I've made that mistake before, especially with the wild man that I've got, I've got Tarzan in the other room. And anytime I try to lock him down or control him, man, it's, it just backfires. And it's a part of me that I'm unlearning and, and figuring out how to let go of this need for control or trying to control my child versus meeting him where his energy's at and guiding him. There's a difference for me between guiding and controlling. And there's so much that I've had to surrender about around expectations. I remember when, <laughs> this is a really funny story. I've never told this one. When we were, we were pregnant with Sitka and it was our first child and for both Carrie and I. And so we're imagining, we're, one day we're in bed and we're just kind of imagining, you know, what is our child going to be like? And, you know, she was kind of giving her projections and I was telling her, you know, I really have this feeling that I'm going to have, we're going to have this Zen baby that, you know, is going to want to sit with me when I meditate in the morning. I just have this vision of him sitting in my lap when I'm meditating out in, in the, in the morning, you know, with the sunrise and dude, I can't get this man to sit still for three seconds. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's just so funny. I think back to that. I was like, what was I thinking? Um, and yet, and, and I'm so grateful that he is his own person too, because that's one of the greatest joys is seeing this entirely unique autonomous personality a, a, like awaken in, in, in this yeah. little person and to be able to support and and really be a an advocate for that spirit coming out instead of being something else that will get in his way of being who he was meant to be. And that's, to me, that is like the simplest message for fatherhood is how can I amplify his spirit while guiding him away from anything that might distract him from himself? Mm. And, and get out of the way of everything else, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's that's so huge. And, and I've connected with you about this before. Jai and Sitka, you know, they're, they're similar souls. I like to refer to Jai as a feral, a toddler. Uh, <laughs> he, he is a bit wild and he will bite you. Um, and, and I love him for it. You got all, the sign all, on the fence, right? Caution, toddler will bite. <laughs> yes, I do. Actually. Beware of toddler. <laughs> it's Venice. So I think people just assume you should be aware of toddlers around here. They're, they're, they're pretty, pretty crucial. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and that's, that's one of the things that, that really came up early on for me in, in fatherhood 
is the separation between how people view my children as my children and how they view my children as a reflection of me as a parent. Mm. And, you know, that, that piece of having the wild, the wild child, right. You know, and, and every, all the other parents looking at you like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, I had a woman one time when I was in the pool, like you were making him into a wild child. And I was like, I'm not making him into anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm just here, you know, with him. But if that's your judgment, that's your judgment. Mm. You know, and there's so many times when that comes up, you know, when you're in the aisle and the kid's freaking out or whatever, and everyone, you can feel people looking at you or, or whatever it is. And all of those judgments of, around, you know, what it means to be a good father, mm. a good parent in society and, and how it's supposed to look. You know, and and here we are gifted with these these wild children, mm-hmm. you know, who who are saying, I don't care what you think it's gonna look like. This <laughs> is what it's gonna look like for me. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, yeah. Which which also brings up all of our own internal stuff, you know, when our when my wild man didn't get to flourish or when it wasn't let out of the cage or when somebody wanted to stuff it back in and you know, it's all linked as that beautiful mirror. Well, see, and that's exactly that's exactly the point is that the part of me that wants to control, manipulate, shut down his wild man is not mine. Like it really is not, it really is not mine. I've taken it on, I've made it my own, but that's not how I feel on a baseline level. Because celebrating his wildness, walking, seeing him walk barefoot, running naked, pissing, it, we, we go to the park and because we let him pee in the backyard, I, re, I was like, oh, he thinks everywhere outside is his is his spot. We were in front of Trader Joe's the other day, and he whips out his dick and starts taking a piss. And I, and my, my wife's looking at me. I was like, "Yep, yep, yep." I mean, I'm not gonna stop him. I'm not gonna stop. Him. Maybe maybe once he's like six, seven years old, but <laughs> you know. Um, and and I celebrate that. I celebrate that. And there's still that part of me that my wildness at some point was was tamed out of me. I was just doing an episode on this like like last week about how there's such a cost to trying to condition and train and discipline that wildness out of us. It used to be something that we celebrated. You know, the the wildest, baddest, fearless, most fearless motherfucker was like the dude that everyone was like, hey, let's get behind him <laughs> because the world out here is crazy. Yeah. Now that we've created such a sterile society, we can't handle the wildness of these boys. Instead, we either medicate them and call it attention deficit disorder, or we incarcerate them and call them delinquents. Or we put them in special ed, special needs, special something because we don't know. Most people don't know what to do with that. Yeah, and it's 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 not it's it's such a disservice to to these boys and and then other men who maybe aren't at that wild at that wild of a level see that and say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a good little boy and you know do my do my homework and color in between the lines because I don't want to be I don't want that I don't want to be in jail I don't want to be you know, have all these consequences for just being myself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've got that toddler peeing in the, in the parking lot at Trader Joe's. That was just two days ago. So I'm, I'm with you 1000% on that. All right, brother. it's not just me. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. And, and, and the same thing, we pee, he pees in the yard, so he pees at the park, you know, and, and that's just, and what am I going to say about it? We let him do it one place. It's, you know, and, and there's certain expectations around society. We talked about this in Joshua Tree, and this man, this resonates with me a lot. We, you had mentioned that you know a certain percentage of of young boys have this really aggressive tendency, mm-hmm. and and I was saying that you know it strikes me that that percentage is relatively the same percentage of of alpha apex predators that we have in the wild, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, for a healthy ecosystem, we have to have apex predators, but we can't have 50% of the population being apex predators. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it would be a top-down system. And so what have we done in society to the apex predator? And we basically vilified the apex predator. We've hunted down the wolves. We've hunted down the bears, the lions, to make sure that, that society overall was safe. And I see our young men in the same way. You know, these, these, these are the aggression in young men that's this natural part of a stable society, a stable ecosystem is being vilified mm-hmm. and we're hunting them down and telling them that that part of them is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's something that, that is, is not accepted in society. That part of you, we need to push away. Mm-hmm. That part of me needs to be pushed away. It needs to be put in the dark because that's the dark side of you. But that's, that's our you know, our real 
innate self. Mm. Talking about you know that beast that's mm-hmm. inside of us, you know that we're that we're so hungry to let go of or, or let out, release, and 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 give it space to live. But what we're doing is we're just we're squashing that energy, and it has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, energy cannot be created or destroyed; it has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And where we're seeing it going in our society is this prevalence of of sexual assault, of aggression, of violence, of uh, of murder. All of this, I think, is directly correlated to these these natural energies of the wild, the wild beast inside of us all, not having a healthy place to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as a, as a father, quote unquote, meaning, you know, a, a, a mature man in the society, I'm a stand for there to be space to express that, mm-hmm. to be with that and, and to, to honor that. And especially when I see a young man confronting it, to allow him the space to confront it, to be with it, to at play group, my son comes home, you know, he's got a couple bites and scratches on it. And I'm like, all right. You know, there it is, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that's, you're, you're, you're horsing around with the other animals today. That's what it's supposed to look like. I, I don't know how, I don't, I try not to hold judgment around that. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, man, because number one, I, I've tried to get in the way of that and it keeps finding ways to express itself to the point where if I keep pushing up against his, that, that animal in him, that wildness in him, then he'll, he'll just keep pushing back until it explodes. And I, the last thing that I want is are those explosions to happen because that's when I become the father that I, I never wanted to be. That's when I raise my voice. Mm-hmm. That's when I'm more physical with him than I would want to be. And it hurts. It fucking hurts, man, because that's definitely not the father mm-hmm. that I want to be. And I realized that by creating a path of less resistance for him, but also giving him safe boundaries that allow him to express himself and to know, hey, this is this really right here is not OK because I don't draw that line as much as I used to try to then. It seems to work out. It seems that he he gets that. He understands that. And this whole concept of what you said about the apex predators, and I do, I, I agree that, the, that a lot of these boys and, and even men, they're, they're just trying to express themselves. And, and because we're so afraid, what we're afraid of, we try to control. And so many of us are afraid of that expression of humanness. We, we make it wrong. We make the overactive kid wrong the over-aggressive kid wrong mm-hmm. instead of just creating a context in which they can really, really flourish. So that leaves us the question. So how do you raise, how do you be, how do you be a father to that energy? And even if it's not, if, even if you don't have one of those kids like yours or mine, every single boy at some point has that, uh, that, j- that jolt of testosterone. It's going to happen at some point. If it hasn't happened yet, just wait, the clock's ticking. So what, what is your perspective on how we can handle this and, and engage and embrace that energy versus stifling it? Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that word control, I think, is so critical, right? Is, you know, it comes back to when I used to teach directing, I talk a lot about the idea of working with actors is like taking a, a mouse, dipping it in its feet in paint, and then holding it by its tail and putting it on a canvas. And, and whatever that mouse created is essentially what is going to be the work of art. I don't have control over that actor. I don't have control over that mouse and I don't have control over my young man or my young woman in that case. You know, I can hope to guide them in a certain direction, but I cannot control them. They're going to do what they're going to do. And everything that I do to seek to, to control what that journey looks like and how it unfolds is always going to backfire. Mm -hmm. So, for me, I think the, the key here is we establish clear boundaries and we establish boundaries for ourselves and not necessarily for the other. And I think that's really clear. You know, I say, okay, my, my body is a boundary. You know, I, I do not allow you to hit me. You know, if you hit me, I, I do not allow that. I'm going to create space for that. However, the idea that I'm going to punish him because he hit me and put him into a space so that I can control that behavior and force it to look a certain way ultimately is going to backfire. Mm-hmm. So what I, I continually do as, as a parent and encourage other parents to do is how can we be present with what's going on? How can I just be present with my, my child, with whatever is going on energetically? First, connect. Connect with what's going on for them. You know, name it. Mm-hmm. Give the feeling a name. You know, this is like 
you know, basic nonviolent communication. Mm-hmm. You know, I see that you're feeling really angry right now. I see that you're feeling, you know, really upset. I see you, the, I see some sadness coming from you right now. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm, I see that you're needing. Is this correct? You know, is I see that you're angry. Are you needing some some time alone? Are you needing some some hugs? Are you needing some space? Are you needing, you know, mm-hmm. yes, I'm needing that. Great. Now we've developed a dialogue. Okay. And here's the power pigeon. What, what do you need? Do you need five minutes yourself? Yeah, I need five minutes, you know. And the great thing about time with kids with kids, especially little ones, you know, it's like like I don't want to leave the park. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, well, how about we leave in a, in a few minutes? How, how much longer do you want to stay? I want to stay two more minutes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you three. Okay. I'll, I'll give you three minutes, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it never, it never really is that big of a deal, but yeah. they're fighting for power. Right. Because mm-hmm. they see it, you know, uh, the same brain that put a man on the moon all day long is sitting around studying you. Mm-hmm. What do they see from you? They see power. They see control. They see your ability to manipulate the environment that you're in. So what do they want? They want the exact same thing. Yep. So how can I give that to them? How can I find creative and productive ways to give them exactly what they're looking for so as to meet their needs? Because my mind will say that need is stupid. That makes no sense that they want that thing. But underneath that, there's something that's of value that is important to them. And I have to honor that and, and really allow that to have its space. And then everything else works itself out. That's a gem right there. And that, that was a game changer for Carrie and I in raising Sitka was when we realized, and we didn't figure it out ourselves. This is like somebody teaching us, somebody coaching us and how to show up for this type of child was involving him in some of the decisions, Involving him in some of the decisions around time, what we're doing, what is going to, what do you want to, like, what do you want to eat? You can have this, you can have that. What do you want to put in your lunch? Um, which pajamas do you want to wear? What, you know, how, how much longer do you want to stay in the bath? And having a conversation about it, not giving him full autonomy to run the whole household, but having a say in things, especially at around the age of when he turned three, was when he really started, you know, his, his ability to express himself, to participate in a, vocal verbal conversation with he so he knew what was going on and he wanted to be a part of it and as soon as we started to involve him in some of those things like everything started to change and we were able to celebrate him in making a decision and like ah yes that's a great idea it's like what should we do today i've got two hours blocked out of time what what do we want to do this afternoon you know what daddy we should go to the park let's go to the park yeah it's a great idea all right what are we going to do there and giving him some ability to make those decisions because what happens as a child is often what plays out in the rest of our lives. So if we're, if as children, we're used to everyone making the decisions for us, then we'll never be able to make decisions for ourselves either. And I think that's also a big problem that's hidden Absolutely. beneath this millennial dysfunction that a lot of people talk about. A lot of indecision for millennials is because the mm-hmm. helicopter and the people told us what to do our whole lives. And as soon as somebody wasn't there to tell us what to do, we fucking crumble. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it, and it, and it's, and it's not just if you're the father to a child. You know, long before I was a father to children, I was a father to a lot of young men and a lot of young women. Right. You know, I was a, I was a coach, I was a teacher, I was a mentor, and in all of those areas of my life, young people were looking up to me. And so this the same thing happens if you know you're a coach and you've got that that kid who you know is just a complete fuck up. You know, is always like clowning around, not paying attention. You know, and and are 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 first thought process is like, how do I, you know, give this guy some, you know, some structure, some rigidity. And the thing that I've seen time and time again, even if they're teenagers or, or older, ask them, you know, invite them into power, let them run the, the drill, let them run something, give them some place where they can have power. And you will see that light completely switch. Mm. You know, whether it's in the classroom, it's on a team, whether it's anywhere that you're engaging with young people, because whether you're actually a, a father to a child that is from your loins, there is some young person looking up to you for guidance. Uh, so we all play that role a, a, as a father or mother, uncle, 
in in the lives of our entire society. And I think it's important that we we take on that role and honor that role that we're each playing, whether we decided to or not. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, man. Well, I was going to ask this question before we got rolling, but it actually seems like a good time to re-inject it now. After everything we've already said about fatherhood, just a simple definition, man. What, what do you think it means to be a father or even more so, what is the role of a father? Mm. Oh, that's such a really powerful question. You know, for me, I think fatherhood is about holding space. It's about creating the space for others to flourish. For me, that's what but being a king really is and what being a leader really is. You know, I think that the power in leadership is inviting others into their greatness. And I really think that for me, that's what fatherhood is all about whether it's fathering a child, whether it's fathering a company, whether it's fathering a vision, that it's not just holding the idea of where we want to go, but supporting everyone to step up into their greatness so that they can be a part of this, this place that we're going. You know, and in the great days you know, of kings, let me take that back for a second. There were not so many great things about the king days, but <laughs> If we look back at you know at the the aspect of what we would say was great about a king that was a great king and and I I speak more from a mythological structure than from a historical structure here that you know it was the ones that upheld the the power of all those around them that made for the greatest kingdom mm-hmm. I think of the the myth of King Arthur and, and and the Round Table and what that was all about this story of of the great father is really the one that allows and creates the space for us to step into our own maturity. And I think that for me is the most important thing that it means to be a father is is to allow that space for others to grow. Mm. Yeah, I really like that. That's something that we touched on a couple of weeks ago when I was interviewing a man, Shems Hartwell, that I, I believe you also are mm, nowhere yeah, familiar I caught with. that. Yeah. Just yeah, it was that. a really good interview. Yeah, man. And, and the way we came to this realization that until we, I mean, sometimes even in the process of becoming fathers to children, we are figuring out how to become a father to ourselves, especially as men, you know, putting together these different images of men, including our father, if he was around or when he, if he wasn't around and, and making this avatar of a father that we want to be so that we can be that for ourselves first and then be that for our own children, biological children, all children. It's mm-hmm. th- to me that's really taken on a whole new form because because then, then we are seeing how we can take these different influences, choose the version of manhood, masculinity, whatever you call it, to be that that we want to be, and then being the model of that. And it really actually mm-hmm. simplifies the role of a father. It's like, well, mm-hmm. figure out who is the man that you want to be based on your values and the way that you see the world, and be that so that. So you can inspire that, influence that in another, whether it's your child or not. And I think that that gives us a very clear path to how we can all influence the next generation of not just boys, but all children in a, in a more powerful way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, going back to the story, the myth around this is that I really don't see a separation between the father and the son. You know, mm-hmm. they say the, the, the sins of the father shall be revisited upon the son. And, and really what the, the heart of that story is talking about is the idea that we are our fathers. You know, we are just passing down the inherited knowledge from one to the next so that ultimately we can figure it out. In, in the Hindu tradition, right, we reincarnate over and over. Mm-hmm. You know? From a biological standpoint, you know, we, we have children so that my life will continue, mm-hmm. you know, that every species has to continue the life of the species, right? And so I'm having children so that I can actually continue my life. It is my way of living forever. Mm. And so in a way, and you know, sometimes this can be problematic that I'm living my life through my children, but in a way we are. We are living our lives through our children. We mm-hmm. are living our lives through our parents, through our ancestors. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a, something that we've lost as a society is realizing that connection. That, you know, what what when I say the sins of my father will be revisited in the son, meaning that man that I looked up to, his incompleted, uncompleted work becomes my incomplete work. Right? Mm-hmm. That journey is constantly going until we get it right. And so back to the Hindu tradition, you know, I keep reincarnating until I get it right. Mm-hmm. right? 
if there is a right to get it, you know, when I, when I no longer have to come back and play these games all over again, <laughs> yeah, man. I don't even know if that's right. Cause I like playing these games. You know? <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course, man. And this is the same thing that we see played out across species, across generations. And ever since the beginning of time, it's why parents will do everything for their children. The, the, the ultimate sacrifice, right? There's incredible things that I've been big on these nature docos lately. And you see some of the things that parents and other species do just so their children could survive. It's incredible. Yeah. Like go look at what penguins do to keep their children alive, to give them just a small shot at living mm-hmm. out in that wild world. And I don't think it's any different for us. As, uh, the game is different that we play as humans, especially humans in this modern Western world. But the the sacrifice, the role of service is, is no different. And I think it's exactly what you said. It's, it's passing and sending the story farther down the road passing it along, passing it forward. Um, I've been really sharing a lot more about what I've been learning from the, the way of circular storytelling and the Native American, the indigenous traditions of the importance that was placed on storytelling and knowing your ancestors, not just you know saying, oh, for, for my relations, for my ancestors, but actually knowing their names, knowing mm-hmm. what they did, knowing, knowing what their life was about, what, they, what, what happened to them, how did they die, what was their life like, and being able to tell those stories over and over again because it strengthens our connection to our past and informs the, the direction that they would, would have wanted us to go in the future. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's really important, man. And another element that I'm bringing into my parenting with my son that was a little bit, it's a little bit different than what I got is that element of storytelling. Of, of making sure that my son knows more about our family's history than I did, experiences more of a culture at a young age than I believe I did, because I, I can see how it gives him something to connect to. You know, he, we, we taught him how to say prayers a long time ago, and at first it used to just kind of be fun because he would model what we do, but now I can actually see him thinking about what he wants to pray for. And he says the prayer at our, at our table every night. We have, we have a meal, and it's like, wow. Okay, so he's he's creating his own reference point for based off of what we've shown him and that he will mm-hmm. now, you know, craft into his life and I don't know, to me that's that's like one of the most important things that we can do because that's at the end of the day that's all we can really yeah. leave behind. Absolutely. You the best piece of parenting advice I ever got from someone was from a friend of mine's mother who said, "If you want to if you want to change something in your children, seek first to change it in yourself." Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's so present when we think about the rituals and things that we've passed down, you know, I don't, I don't teach my son rituals. We carry ritual in our household. He picks them up. Mm-hmm. You know, he assumes the ones that have value or that he sees that have value. And he, he wants to play into that space. My son has, my three-year-old has taken to saying, yes, sir, which I have no idea where that came from. Like, <laughs> you know, those are my Southern roots, perhaps. Like my great grandfather used to make us say that, you know, when I was growing up, that was something you had to say. Uh-huh. My son says, yes, sir. You know, like, yeah, I think it came from Baba Black Sheep or something, but <laughs> nonetheless, you know, these are just things that they decide to take on, you know, when they see that, that, that has value. And the other piece of this that was, you know, really resonating with me when you were when you were speaking before is, I think the real crux of it is really not just seeing our own children as our children, mm-hmm. but seeing every child as our children. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's really, you know, looking at the community, looking at the structure, and, you know, how do I start to realize that, you know, I've created this idea that being a parent is being responsible for this child. Mm-hmm. What if I could expand that and say that being a, a mature adult means that I am responsible for children, mm-hmm. right? that I'm responsible for the seed. I'm responsible for that that came before me. Now, I'll get into responsibility because I also think that's one of the, the, the most challenging aspects of manhood. Um, and I think one that, that has the greatest amount of pain and pressure and dis-ease connected to it is this idea that what it means to be a man is to be responsible because then we start to lose our sense of self because my my what makes me a man is that i take care of everybody else Mm. there's Mm -hmm. a there's a big trap to fall in there right so in in my mind the way i define taking care of of everyone else is really taking care of myself being the best me that i can possibly be Mm. so that i'm setting a model for everyone that sees me so that they have an ability to step into that space and be what it be a model for what they might want to be as well. Yeah. And I think that if we can all just be the type of man that a mother would trust her baby with, that would, that a mother would trust her child with, then that that's a good measure if you're doing something right. 
You know, <laughs> if, if a mama out there is willing to trust her child to you, regardless of what the context is, but you know, to just that, that sentiment, then that means that you're showing up in all different types of ways. And, and I do, I, that's, that's one thing I speak about a lot too, is all of us taking responsibility for all children. For all children. Why, why, at what point did we decide that we were only responsible for our own? And what was the cost of that? You know, yeah. pretending like, oh, well, that's your kid. Sorry. You know, that's, that's bullshit. That's such a bullshit. At least it's not a society that I want to be a part of, man. So I'm, I'm glad that you and, and yeah. more of us are taking on this mantle because we see that it's, uh, children also aren't supposed to only be raised by two people, by one, by one mother and one father. It's, it's, it's too limiting. It doesn't give them enough exposure and to possibilities of who they want to be. Because if we just create carbon copies of ourselves, then there's no progress. It's just like sh- a straight line. Yeah, man. And, and it takes a village. It truly does. It takes a village to raise a child, to raise children. You know, and I think the, the thing that's really standing in our way is the value proposition. Mm. You know, that, that we as a society have separated ourselves along these value lines. I have these values. You have those values. Don't you come bringing your values onto my children because we disagree with our values and there's no middle ground to be had. So you, you stay in your lane, tell your, your kids what you want them to see. I'll stay in my lane, tell my kids what I want them to know. And, you know, and so the, I, the old idea of, you know, the kids go out, they run around the neighborhood, you know, and, and somebody else is going to be looking after them. Well, I don't know if they have the same values as I do, so they shouldn't be looking after my kids. So I'll just, I'll, I'll look after my kid. I mean, I have friends who won't even let their parents watch their kids because the parents don't share the same values that they have and they don't want that influence, right. you know, on their children. Mm-hmm. And that's a, I think that's a real tough one. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the idea, and it comes back to that control, you know, that if, if what it means to be a parent is to tell this young person what it's like, you know, this is your lane, this is where you're supposed to be, mm-hmm. versus them just experiencing what manhood looks like coming from me versus what it looks like coming from you, and take what works and throw away what doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. I remember I'm uh, just thinking about stories from my own experience now. You, as you know, we we raised Sitka for the first two and a half years of his life in a multifamily household. So, mm-hmm. for the first almost year of that, it was myself, my wife Sitka, and two of our best friends, and another couple, uh, my friend Phil and his partner Demetra, who's now his wife. And then after that, it was another couple that came in, and. What was, what was interesting was this is like the first child that any of us had. So we're all figuring it mm-hmm. out, right? And I, I remember uh, once, once Sitka got to that age where he needed some more guidance, some more discipline, I remember there's a couple of times where he was like probably in the garage with us and he started playing with a tool that he shouldn't have. And I remember Phil look, going over to him saying, don't touch that. And both of them at the same time, Sitka and Phil looking at me like, was that okay? <laughs> and me being like, yeah, heck Yeah. Um, and, and supporting that and, encu- and encouraging that he be disciplined and have different exposures to different people who will discipline him and show him different ways. And it's made yeah. him, it's made him into what I think is a more well-rounded, adaptable, capable little boy, because he doesn't just need me to tell him what's okay. And I trust, and to see that I trust and my, and my wife and I both trust other people to show him the way it actually makes him feel safer mm-hmm. in the world. Because if we're the only ones who provide mm-hmm. boundaries for him, then that's the only place he feels safe. He, as wild, The wildest kid is only looking for boundaries. That's, that's what makes them feel safe. So if they, we teach them mm-hmm. that you just listen to mommy and daddy or mommy, daddy, and grandma and grandpa, then they go out into the world and never feel safe because they don't trust that anybody out there can give them those boundaries. And so I, I've seen mm-hmm. it all kind of come full circle back to, yeah, if I think about the story that I've heard Preston share before when they when they were in Africa they were they were driving a few miles away from the village and some woman got out of her car and like there were some boys acting up on the side of the road she got out of her car and spanked all of the boys they took turns spanking each one of them and they they asked about it later and they weren't even her kids they were someone else's kids she just saw it happen and she got mm-hmm. up in there and she just started like letting them know that's not okay and a lot of, he said that it, mm-hmm. at least the way i remember the story he said a lot of folks from from america or from other cultures didn't get that and they were actually like disturbed by that like how could she do that to someone else's kids it's like come on 
Yeah. They're children. They, mm-hmm. need, they just need some discipline, yeah. some guidance. Why are we so sensitive to all of this? Not that we should be beating oh. our children into obedience, but that we should be giving them direction and, and open to direction from other sources, you know? Oh, well, uh, if that happened in America, that'd be on Channel Channel 4 News, man. We, we'd have the interview. Oh, he dabbed my dad and then they came and arrested him and, you know, all that jazz. You know, that that is that's straight up cop action, you know? Yeah. That's, that's bad boys, bad boys, you know? that That's... It, it's taken a completely different direction. And yeah, I don't necessarily support, you know, corporate punishment. I don't think that that's a necessary way to do it. And at the same time, you know, I have this rule that grandparents get to be grandparents. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're at grandma's house, grandma's rules. Yeah. And, and I don't need to be involved. You know, grandma's going to feed you things that I don't necessarily agree with. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? You might get sick. You might throw up because you ate too many sweets and that's okay. That's all right. You're going to have many different circumstances. I am not here to control the circumstances that you are going to have in your life. Right. You chose those. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have this. I, I have this overriding belief that 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 children choose their circumstances. I, Carolyn Mays tells this great story that I, lo- I love talking about, which is, you know, it, it's basically and comes down to, you know we're sitting in this waiting room waiting to come down and, and incarnate in this life, you know, and he says, all right, so who's next? And like, I'm next. I want to come down. And you're like, all right, well, what are you going to do? All right. Well, um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to bring health and wellness, uh, to this world. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to incarnate and I'm going to bring health and wellness. Says, all right. I like that. That sounds like a good plan. All right. We need a couple of people to volunteer to be the parents. Oh, oh, you, I'll be your parent. I'll be your parent. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Parents. Great. Okay. So, um, you guys are going to feed them junk food, uh, and, <laughs> and not let them out of the house and, and get them all the new video games, uh, so that they can have every struggle they possibly can have. Right. Yep. And the kid's like, and what the, the fuck, man? <laughs> throw me, throw me and, a and, <laughs> and then we come down to this life, not knowing right. that, that promise that we made about why we wouldn't incarnate. So we got to go through all of this shit to get to that place that we were, totally, right? That's the totally. gift. Mm-hmm. that's the gift. All of those obstacles that I'm trying to stand in the way of my children having are actually the gifts that are going to bring them to their greatness. Mm-hmm. So, right there. you know, why am I upset that, you know, that the person down the street decided to, you know, to smack them? Well, not, not necessarily the way that I want to see it happen. And at the same time, it is all perfect. That is an experience they were called on in this life so that they could actually draw into question, what is that all about? How do I feel about that? And will I be a stand for that or will I be a stand for something different? Sure, man. I love that. I love that because I think that's always something good to fall back to, regardless of the context or the circumstances. Anytime we feel that we've been disserved by the universe, just, (laughs) just flipping that script for a second and saying, well, what has the universe actually granted me here? What did I sign up for? What did I take responsibility for? What did I ask for in this life? And how is that going to help me be great? How is that going to help my kids, my loved ones be great? I've always found a lot of solace in that. And I think, you know, the last thing I'd say about it is just the having the ability to trust each other more. There is so much distrust in our society for each other, for our neighbors. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not that old, man. I'm 31 years old, but I even remember growing up, my parents trusted me to just walk over to the neighbor's house. We knew our neighbors. We lived in that kind of neighborhood where you knew your neighbors. You know, something came up suddenly, you'd say, go next door to the neighbor's house. Maybe you didn't go there very often, but everybody knew that if they needed it and it happened multiple times, like there was a time where my neighbor's house was on fire. All of them came over here and stayed with us. And my mom was in the hospital. So I went over the neighbor, like stuff like that actually happened. But now, even right now, I know one of my neighbors. I know this guy over here. The other guy over here doesn't really have any interest in knowing me. I've waved a couple of times and then I don't know anybody else. And, and I think people prefer to keep it that way too. So I think if we can get, work on something else so that we can have a society where we raise each other's children. We have to learn how to trust each other more. We have to learn how to communicate and how to be open to values and possibilities instead of rigid and placing up these brick walls in between each other. And that's just the vision of the world that I want to see. I'm not saying that that is the way, but man, I just, I just can't help but think that that's going to make a better world for our children and help solve some of these bigger problems we're up against. Yeah. The, the big word for me is communication. I mean, that's, that's been the, the through line for my entire life and everything that I've done is really looking at the communication that I'm having with myself and I'm having with others and the communication that I'm projecting uh, about myself and the world that I'm in around the world. Mm. I think that that is a place where right now I'm seeing we are in the greatest crisis. 
Mm-hmm. We're in the greatest crisis of our communication, uh, our interpersonal communication and our extrapersonal communication. That communication that we're seeing when we turn on the television, when we, when we look at our Facebook feed, when we look at our Insta feed, whatever it is, that communication, I think, is really facilitating that separation in a, in a much broader way than we've really ever seen in in our history. And I think that's something that, you know, I'm not against technology at all. I think that there's great things, but we also have to recognize, you know, what are we, what are we, what are we missing? Mm. Uh, That this tool can be a great tool for bringing people together. Mm. And at the same time, it can be a great tool for bringing people apart. And what I think, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot more of that pulling apart Mm. of that segregation of that creation of an us which inherently has an other, mm. you know, I have this values, my group has this values, so that other group has different values, right? Mm. But, so I'm African-American, Native American, Scottish, and Irish. I grew up, I, I like to say that I'm, uh, I'm oppressed people from all over the globe, uh, <laughs> but yet I grew up, you know, in the South, you know, which is very, you know, in the, in the 70s, early 80s, where, you know, it was very segregated. And I got to experience, you know, living with a family that was all white. Strangely enough, you know, they were, they were, they were I'm going to call it white trash. You know, mm-hmm. they lived in trailer parks. Mm-hmm. They used to own a plantation and they had moved into living in trailer parks, right? Mm-hmm. My dad's side of the family, living in New Jersey, they grew up in the hood and they were all doctors and lawyers uh, and engineers. So I got to experience these two realities. I got to see what it's like to be fully immersed in black society and black intellectual society. And I got to see what it's like to be fully immersed and hold these two realities. Mm. These two people are talking about completely different things, but both of them are right. Both of them I agree with because both of them are my families, Mm. right? Mm. And yet in society today, we cannot hold that reality. Mm. But this side over here, that I disagree with actually is right. And this side over here that I agree with actually is right. That both of these realities get to be right. And that one being right does not make the other one less right. Mm-hmm. They get to, they both get to coexist. And I think that's a big struggle that we have as a society that's creating this, this separation that makes it impossible for us to actually raise ourselves as a collective, raise our children as a collective, because we're, we're broken by this value proposition. Mm. Those people have different values. They don't agree with me. I don't want them around me. I don't want them around my kids. I don't want them having an impact on my children. But the reality is no matter what I do, they are having an impact on me and they are having an impact on my children. So I might as well find a way to communicate with them because it's going to happen one way or another. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I love that. That makes me remember an episode. It was actually exactly a year ago because it was my my father-in-law who is deeply involved in men's work, been doing it for like 30 years. He came on the show and he was. I was asking him the question, what does it mean the difference between a boy and a man? And one of the parts of his definition was the ability to hold the dynamic tension of opposites to be in that dance of uh, uh, this is my belief and I'm standing in it. And I'm also able to stand here and make room for your belief as well. To, and to be able to hold that within ourselves and to be able to hold that within extra personal relationships. Like you said, it comes full circle too, because that's, that's one of the archetypal issues between parents and children is I'm right. You're wrong. And then when the kid gets st- strong enough to kind of mash horns back, it's like, fuck you, dad. I'm right. You're wrong. You don't know shit. And this is the new world, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I agree, man. I think I'm just a, especially, and, that, and this is hard for folks, man. I'll say it's even hard for me because then, of course, you go to the extremes. You say, well, how can I, how could a man like Donald Trump possibly be right? How could anyone political possibly be right? But if we allow for that, it, 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 it creates a possibility for dialogue instead of a shouting match, which I mm-hmm. think is really the, the issue that we're all yelling at each other because we just want things to be our way because that's what makes us feel good. It makes us feel safe and gives us that certainty. So, hey, man, it's got a lot of work you to know, do. <laughs> here, here's the thing. You, you see Donald Trump and I just see a man who's longing for the love from his father that he never fully received. Sure. Yeah. Simple as that. You know, there's nothing evil about him. He's just trying to prove to his father that he is the man that he's always wanted to be. And there's something that, that is both sad about that, but also provides me with great hope. 
because he's not an evil human being, you know? Whatever my judgment is about him, I see a human being. And in that ability to see a human being, I see a place for dialogue. Mm. I think that's what we need to do as a collective more is to find the humanity in the other individuals so that we can see a place for collective communication. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful, man. It's been an amazing conversation with you, man. Uh, definitely doesn't disappoint. It's, it's just like another conversation we've always had. Just now we've got microphones in front of us. So glad, <laughs> glad we got to capture that, man. And clearly we could go on, on and on and on and on. But we must bring this to a close now. So let me ask you a few closing questions here, and then you can let everybody know where to find you and follow you. All right. Okay. What is one thing that you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18 years old? The obstacles present the opportunities. If I would have known that the things that were standing in my way, the things that seemed to be the hardest things to get over were ultimately going to be the things that had the greatest life, the greatest joy, the greatest celebration, and the greatest opportunities in my life, man, I would have just leaned into those instead of running away from them. Mm. Uh, I spent a lot of my years running away from the things that look scary, only to realize that those things that, that look scary held the greatest, the greatest fruit, the greatest gifts. Mm, beautiful, man. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Integrity. And there's really no other answer for that one. I, you know, I, I thought about that one for a minute. I was like, can I give a different answer? Uh, <laughs> and at the end of the day, it, it is. It, I, I, I am my word. I say what I mean and I mean what I say. I think is, is what allows people to rely on me, what allows people to know they can trust me, what it allows people to know that they can be in my space. And when I'm not that, then I invite all kinds of chaos into my life. And I like to point at that chaos and say that that's something else outside of me. But ultimately, if I'm being truthful and I'm being honest, it's, it's all about me. Mm. And the great thing about integrity is you get to, I get to choose it for myself. I get to define what are my yeses and what are my no's. And as long as I'm in alignment with those yeses and those no's, then I get to really fully live into my manner. Awesome, man. Awesome. I love that. Last but not least, man, where can people follow you, find you, get to work with you? Of course, we know, we didn't mention this yet. I'll probably mention it in the intro, but uh, you are one of the lead coaches in Man Cave, founding father of CMB. So definitely people can find you there. But where else would you like people to go to connect with you? Absolutely, man. Well, you can find me on uh, Instagram. I'm trying to play this Insta game now. Uh, woke ass dad uh, on Instagram. I, yes. I, you know, more joy, more celebration, less seriousness in life. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Uh, I do work uh, work one on one with uh, with fathers in particular, working with men. Uh, but you know, if you're a man, there's nothing I can say other than get yourself to the cave. And you know, this unleash the beast thing. I'm telling you, we're coming up in September. That is going to be that is my new favorite thing in life that I'm doing. Uh, you got to get in that room if you're a man. Get a chance to unleash. That that those natural desires that we've been talking about, give it a space. And uh, as I've been hearing from uh, from partners of men that were in there, uh, it is a life-changing experience. So mm. definitely get yourself to Unleash the Beast. I'm also uh, supporting uh, Preston Smiles, our good friend uh, with uh, Bridge and Extreme, uh, coming up here in two weeks. And so uh, if you're looking for direction in your life, figuring out how to make sense of why it all comes back to you. Highly recommend you get in that room. And, uh, you know, I also work with people in storytelling. I'm a jack of all trades and a master of one. Just trying to figure out what that one is. I'll let you know when I get to it. Uh, supporting, uh, supporting individuals and entrepreneurs in telling their stories, uh, going back to my roots as a filmmaker and professor. So all those things get to happen uh, and I get to celebrate and enjoy every day uh, getting to be a beautiful part of people's lives. So I hope I get to be more with everybody out there and uh, Brother Jetty, mm, it is always a blessing to be a part of your life, man. You light me up so much. Yes, sir, man. Woke-ass dad in the building signing off. It was an honor to have you here, man. And uh, Really grateful for you bringing bringing all that all that it was really powerful, brother, and uh, honored to be walking this path with you, learning from you, learning with you, and uh, look forward to having you on here again sometime, bro. Indeed, thank you so much, brother. You be well. You too, man. There you have it, folks. Kelly is one of the men on this planet who I go to when I need support in the domains of 
fatherhood, partnership, being the man that I've always wanted to be. He's got such a gentle and unique cast on how to show up in these different domains of, of manhood that are all part of this you know, umbrella of masculinity. And he's a dude I really trust, straight up and down. A man of integrity, a man who is not afraid to take off his mask and show you his ugly, and to get real, and to get raw, and to get rugged. I, I just love how he speaks about this work, and particularly the conversation about raising those wild boys. You guys know that's so near and dear to my heart, and I'm such an advocate for us learning how to raise the wild energy, express the wild energy, and return back to our center. I think that is the journey of our generation, is to learn how to do it for ourselves, and to learn how to nourish that and teach that for our younger men. Whether it's my son, your son, our son, our boys, treating them as all of ours, we get to do that. So. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I do. Send it to a father out there, any father that you think could benefit from hearing this episode and the insights that we dug into. Also, a specific call to action. Make sure all of y'all join us on the next Rising Man Fire Circle, June 22nd from 3 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Get yourself instant access to our Fire Circle by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash risingman. If you want to join as your guest for your first time, send me a direct message and I'll give you the link. You can join us, you can check it out, see that it's the real deal, and then sign up for Patreon. However you want to do it, get yourself into that fire circle. Don't wait. Check out the show notes for links and resources at therisingmanpodcast.com. Special shout to my brother, my homie, the man behind the scenes who's putting up those show notes, who's making sure these episodes get out to you on time every week. Julian Subic, my man, appreciate everything you're doing, brother. Also, guys, please subscribe, follow us on the podcast app of your choice. Give us those reviews. Give us those ratings. Whatever you feel we deserve, give the honest truth because it's going to help us improve our game. And if you believe we deserve it, give us those five stars. Give us those rave reviews because it's going to help another man find the Rising Man message, find the Rising Man movement. So please do that. It goes a long way, even if it just takes five minutes out of your day. It's a simple way of giving back to the Rising Man and everything that we're doing on this. And so please don't forget to do that. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Podcast. Y'all know my man Rowan Tyne at Rowan T-Y-N-E on Instagram has been blowing up the Rising Man Instagram ever since he took over. Thank you, my bro, for everything you do. Make sure you guys are sharing that up, giving it some follows, putting it in your Insta stories. Whatever you do, get that Rising Man message out there. This is how we all do it. This is how we all support the message. Last but not least, going to give two more shout outs to my man Sean Offenbach at Infinite Melodics, at Infinite M E L O D I X. That's his Instagram handle. He's your man. If you've got any audio engineering, podcast support, branding needs, my man is becoming a jack of all trades and really capable of helping you get your message out into the world in a clean, crisp, professional, sexy way. So make sure you hit my man up. He's the man, Sean, 100% of the way. I support him, back him, endorse him go for it hit him up on instagram and my man mark rose our fire circle master who has been taking good care of the rising man fire circle community he will be your point of contact if you step up and join us inside the fire circle so mark rose my man thank you so much for everything you do and to every one of you guys who's listening out there thank you from the bottom of my heart from the top of my heart from my whole heart thank you for supporting this mission because It's one of the greatest things that I have in my life. And I'm so grateful to be able to share it with you, even if I don't know you yet. And if I don't know you and you don't know me directly, other than my voice on this microphone, send me a message this week. Let this be the week that you reach out and say, what's up, man? Because I'll say what up back and I'll be so happy to hear from you. All right. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.